You hungry and thirsty tonight? Because you know, Jesus wants to fill that hunger and fill that thirst. There's nothing else that can. So, Pastor, why don't you come and bring us words of life? You know how in the more traditional churches they would have responsive readings? I'm going to do a little bit something like that tonight. Just because we can. So I'm going to read a psalm. But every other line is going to be yours. And you don't even need to open your Bible for this. And it's a pretty long psalm. But you have one line between every other line of mine. One line that you're going to repeat back is, For His mercy endures forever. Is that hard to remember? Let's say that together. For His mercy endures forever. Alright, it'll work just like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread the land on the waters. He made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. And the moon and stars to rule by night. Are you getting tired of it yet? I mean, His mercy endures forever. His faithful compassion. His love. His, this word also means kindness. Think of it this way. His kindness is forever. His kindness is forever. I'm going to keep going because we're only halfway. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. He brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and outstretched arm, He divided the Red Sea. He led Israel through, but hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. He led His people in the wilderness. He struck down great kings and slaughtered famous kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And He gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to Israel, His servant. He remembered us in our humiliation. For His mercy endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For His mercy endures forever. He gives food to every creature. For His mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For His mercy endures forever. Question. What do you think tonight's sermon's on? You guys are a quick lot. You catch on pretty quick. His mercy endures forever. Yes, His mercy is forever. His love is eternal. His compassion never ceases. I mean, there's so many Scriptures that we can look at. And so tonight, we're going to... Have have any of you ever needed mercy? Yeah? I mean, that's all of you, whether you admit it or not. But sometimes it's good for us to admit things. Yep, yep, that was me. I had to sign up for it many times. And, um, you know, sometimes we call God the God of second chances. In fact, today I told 
someone, that's what I was going to minister on tonight is the God of second chances. And then there was three of us sitting around the table and all three of us at the same time started saying something. We all started saying, and the third and fourth and fifth. The God of more chances, right? Not just second chances. And as I left and I went away and I went to the fuel station, I was putting fuel in the car and, and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, you know, I am the God of second chances. That's more right than what you, you thought. Because after I'd driven away, see, I started thinking, God of second chance, that's not right. There's so many more chances. I need to retitle the message. And, and the Lord said, that's more right than you realize. I said, yeah, but Lord, you give a lot more than a second chance. He said, yeah, but I'm not keeping track. It's like, ah, it's always only a second chance because he wasn't keeping track of the 288 times before that. Right When He cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and into the sea of forgetfulness, leave it there. Don't go fishing for it. And allow, if you fall again or if you blow it or make a mistake or you didn't listen to the Lord, whatever it is, this is your first mistake to Him. And you need another opportunity. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight is the God who gives another opportunity a second opportunity. And so go with me over to Second Chronicles 25. And we're going to look at a number of examples. And we're going to see some amazing things here. You know, God is a God of redemption. I mean, He redeems the time. How many times have we, um, have you blown the time on something, right? The timeline. And yet he is able to redeem that time. And one of the ways that time is redeemed is, is through finances, I understand. For example, if you're short on time, what do you do? You hire someone to get more time. You can, you can buy time. All right. People say, oh, everyone's been given time equally. Yeah, but not necessarily because you can hire lots of time, right? Freeze you up to do something different. So that being said is how many of us have made mistakes financially. No, we wouldn't say, man, I sinned and blew it and some gross, you know, sin of adultery. But but I missed God. I made a mistake in my finances. And yet the Lord will redeem and restore and give you another opportunity to come right back up to where you had been and beyond. We go from faith to faith and glory to glory is what Scripture tells us. And so he's not looking to leave you in your own mess. In fact, we're not ready for Second Chronicles 25. The Lord says, go read, go read something in, in Psalms 34. Psalms 34, listen to this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. Start, listen to this. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The Lord didn't put the troubles on him. He brought those troubles on Himself in many cases. And yet the Lord delivers him. You know, He's talking about David. And one of the times that he developed a whole bunch of trouble for himself was with Bathsheba. And we're going to look at that a little bit later tonight. But yet the Lord delivered him. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. But so often when we blow it, we immediately set ourselves and we go, well, you know, I've blown, I missed my opportunity. I've blown it. I deserve this. Right? You do. But, how many of you love the but gods in Scripture? But God. I mean, again and again and again, they're just without hope, but God. Right? And so, yeah, you deserve that, but that's what where mercy comes in. His mercy endures forever, and mercy means you're not getting what you deserve. See, grace is completely on the other side of it. It means you're getting something you don't deserve. Like in a good, positive way. Getting something you don't deserve. And so this mercy makes so that, yeah, okay, I blew it. I made the choice. I did the thing. I made the mistake. I was stupid. But God, in His great mercy, will absolutely bring you right back up out of there if you'll turn to Him on it. If you just continue to go your own way and go, nope, I deserve that. That's me. I'm just going to suffer through it. He'll let you. He'll let you. He's not going to do anything you don't believe Him for in that way. I mean, can a person get saved without believing Him for it? No. It's the same thing. The faith of salvation that He puts inside of you at the hearing of His Word, at the hearing of the preaching of the Gospel, to believe, to receive salvation, it's the same way with deliverance. You have to believe to receive His deliverance. And so, stop looking at your problem or beating yourself up. Put the hammers away and realize, you know what, the blood of Jesus, the redemption, the new covenant that belongs to me. I'm a a child of of the King, right? I've been grafted in to the tree, to the root. And who is that root? The root of David. You know, it goes all the way to the Father. And so... says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Even when you blow it, that angel is there. Even when you made your mistake. Even when you did something stupid. Even when you really made a hard left turn. That angel is there. He camps around them. However, there is a however. If you will continue to go your own stubborn way and not acknowledge, the word repentance comes in here. The word, the, repentance is such a major gift to the, to, to the people on the earth. Repentance is you having a change of, of mind that leads, or a change of heart that leads to a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. That's what repentance is. Alright? And so when you repent, had a change of heart, change of mind, go in a different direction. When you do that, when you've been blowing it, well, His restorative power comes right back into play for you. That angel that was there the whole time is still there ready to help. Still there to protect. And notice it says he camps around those who fear him. The one that fears the Lord is not the one who's afraid of the Lord. It's the one who reverences his word and obeys him. And does what he's saying and and doesn't want to do anything offensive to the Lord. And so those are the ones who fear him. Those are the ones who, who qualify. And if you say, well, I don't qualify. Well, then here's the good news. Quickly qualify. It takes a nanosecond. And repent. Change. Say, you know what? I forsake that stupid thing. And Lord, I, here I am. Here I am. And He is present. The Word says draw near to the Lord and He will draw near to you. Right? So we are the one to make the move. We are the one to draw near to Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
How happy is the one man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who delights in life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil and erases all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. That's one of just one of my favorite verses amongst the thousands of favorite verses. Right. He hears the righteous his and he delivers you from all from all your trouble, even the trouble that you invented yourself and got yourself into, even the trouble where you were just too fleshy and you walked the wrong way for too long. Even that one. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Many afflictions come to the one who is righteous. So there's your warning. A lot of troubles coming your way. But he didn't leave it there. He says, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones and not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the sinner and those who hate righteousness will be punished. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. The Lord redeems, redeems. What is redeem? It means it's purchasing something. It's paying the debt that was against something. The value of something. Redeeming it and making it your own. That's what salvation brings us. But the Lord will redeem you out of the miry pit. The miry clay is what Scripture says. Alright, now we can go to Second Chronicles in 25. Second Chronicles 25, this is about King Amaziah. And he became, in verse 1, he became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, but not completely. Or some translations say not with a whole heart. Now let's jump down to verse 5. Then it says, then Amaziah gathered Judah and assembled them according to patriarchal family, according to the commanders of thousands, according to the commanders of hundreds. He numbered those 20 years old or more for all Judah and Benjamin. He found there to be 300,000 choice men who could serve in the army bearing spear and shield. Then for 7,500 pounds of silver, he hired 100,000 brave warriors from Israel. Not just your ordinary guys. These are the special forces guys, right? He shelled out the big bucks to get, to bring in the heavy metal, right? To really get the job done. And that's what, what he was doing when he was, you know, doing all this counting is he was trying to figure out uh, how many he had to go to battle. What is he doing? Is he is really looking at the arm of the flesh. He's really looking at the natural realm as though that's where his victory is going to come from. And something happens here. If you read verse 7, it says, However, a man of God came to him and said, King, do not let Israel's army go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, 
all the Ephraimites. But if you go with them, do it. Be strong for battle, but God will make you stumble before the enemy. For God has the power to make or to help or to make one stumble. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, what should I do about the 7,500 pounds of silver I gave to Israel's division? This is a lot of money. I mean, I have no idea what it, how much money it represented in their time, but it was a lot. It was enough that a king was staggering at the thought of losing it. So it was significant. And had he done this in his own wisdom, in his own thinking, yeah, he'd made the choice. He'd counted his army. Nope, not strong enough. He goes out, spends all this money, and makes this massive investment. It's going to be for the good of the kingdom. You know, he had good intentions. But it was the wrong thing. He was bringing the wrong people alongside of them. And then he's like, oh, okay, you're saying I shouldn't go, but what about the money, Lord? And this next line is just amazing. The man of God replied, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Much more than this. Don't even consider this, he's telling him. God is able to absolutely give you more than this. Don't be stuck on that amount. Don't make your decisions based on that amount. The Lord is able to do much more than this for you. And so he released them and, and they went out. Uh, verse 11, Amaziah strengthened himself or um, some translations, a good translation says he encouraged himself. How do you encourage yourself? You, you look at the word, you look at the promises that God has given to you. You speak those out over yourself. You speak those out loud. You you encourage yourself, right? So he, you strengthen yourself that way. And he led his people out to the Valley of Salt. Man, I mean, they went to town. Him, ten thousand of them, and then and then they captured another ten thousand alive, and on and on. They had this great victory. Now let's go over to you're still in Second Chronicles, back up to chapter eighteen, a number of years earlier. So if the Lord would give him more, much more, not just I'll match what you lost by your own fault. <laughs> no, the Lord can do much more for you. So what about you? Where have you blown it with with time or relationships or finances or or maybe there's a call of God in your life and you've invested in the wrong thing. I'm not talking finances anymore, am I? And you've invested in the wrong thing. And, and now what do I do? Lord? What? He's able to redeem all of it. He's able to do much more. Here in, in 2 Chronicles 18, in verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. He's another king here. He made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. Now, he, had, he married uh, Ahab's daughter. He became Ahab's son-in-law. All right? So that, that makes for an alliance, right? So son-in-law... And um, so then after verse two, then after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab sacrificed many sheep and cattle for him, for the people who were were with him. Then he persuaded him to march up to Ramoth Gilead for Israel's king. Ahab asked Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? Now, he's talking about a battle. He's going up for war. Will you go with me to war? Well, yeah, he's going to go help the father in law. So he replied to him, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the battle. But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, First, please ask what the Lord's will is. 
Well, that's good, but he didn't do that first. First, he commits to going. And then he says, oh, now let's ask what the Lord's will is. Backwards, right? That's not how we want to do it. We want to find out God's will. And then we make our decision based upon what his will is. And Ephesians says, don't be foolish. Know what God's will is. Look, if you don't know his will on a situation, everything stops until you figure that one out. And then you go forward. Well, here he goes, uh, let's ask what the Lord's will is before we rush right into this. So verse 5, the king of Israel gathered the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? They replied, march up. God will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? Let's ask him. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there still is one man who can ask the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micah, son of Emiel. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called an officer and said, hurry, get Micah, son of Amiah. Now the king of Israel and king Jehoshaphat of Judah, clothed in royal attire, were each sitting on his own throne. They were sitting on the threshing floor at the entrance to Samaria's gate. And all the prophets were prophesying in front of them. Then Zedekiah, son of Chenai, made iron horns and said, This is what the Lord says. You will gore the Armenes with, the, with these until they are finished off. And all the prophets were prophesying the same, saying, March up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. You know, it doesn't matter how many prophets you have. If they're all saying the wrong thing, it doesn't hold water. Verse 12, the messenger who went to call Micaiah instructed him. said, look, the words of the prophets are unanimously in favor for the king. So let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever my God says. That's how we live. Truth. Anchored in truth. So let's see what happens. So he went to the king and the king asked him, Micaiah, or I, I say his name different every time I get to it, I think, but that's all right. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> says, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? Micaiah said, march up and succeed for they will be handed over to you. Now, I'm guessing that he probably had quite a sarcastic tone to his voice. Something was pretty obvious because of what the king says next. It was pretty obvious to the king, nah, you're not saying the truth. So maybe, he, you know, he was like, sure, march up. Yeah, the Lord's going to give them to you, sure. But the king says to him in verse 15, how many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return home in peace. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster? Then <laughs> it's like, well, you told him to tell you the truth. What? Then Micaiah said, therefore... Some of you didn't know you could say that word that many different ways. I mean, if there's anything, I'm consistent in being different. 
So verse 18. <laughs> I just call him Michael. All right. That one's easy. Michael. <laughs> he says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the whole heavenly host was standing at his right hand and at his left hand. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one was saying this and another was saying that. So what we see here is he just is prophesied that the, that the king is going to fall in this battle. You're going to die. And so, so now, now he's talking about a vision that he has. And so then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord asked him how. So he said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, yeah, you will entice him and also prevail. Go and do that. Now you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit into the mouth of these prophets of yours and the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. This is actually a poor translation of this. If you will look into some of the... This book here is actually an excellent book on this particular subject of how that the Hebrew language has causative and permissive verbs in it, whereas English doesn't. It's just all causative. So there's no... Um, it's, it's, it doesn't translate across very well. So if you look at the original word, in fact, in Deuteronomy 18.14, this same word is translated as permitted. Permitted rather than caused it. So the Lord is allowing it. He's, the, the, uh, the Rotterham's translation says He has suffered a lying spirit. He allowed or He permitted a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours and the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. See, it wouldn't make sense for the God of truth to put something from the father of lies, the devil. Let's see, that is completely incongruent with the entirety of Scripture. And so that when you see something like that, you have to go, okay, so... So let's look at what does it really mean. So anyhow, so now these people, they want to believe a lie. And did you know that if you want to believe a lie, the Lord will allow you to believe a lie. Oh, I didn't finish telling you this book. You can find it in our bookstore downstairs. It's uh, $13 if you want a copy. He does an excellent job of really bringing out, you know, he talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart and he just does a really good job of bringing all these things um, to life in our language and explaining why they got translated the way they did and and um, brings uh, light to that. Alright, let's just keep reading here because I'm sidetracked on that. Verse 22, or 23. Then Zedekiah, son of Chennai, came up and hit Micaiah, Micah, I don't know, in the face and demanded, did the Spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? And Micah replied, you will soon see when you go hide yourself in an inner chamber on that day. Then the king of Israel ordered, take Micah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this guy in prison and feed him only bread and water until I come back safely. But Micah said, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he said, listen, all you people. Then the king of Israel and Judah's king Jehoshaphat. Okay, question. Jehoshaphat serves the Lord. Ahab does not. Okay, We know that if you're at all familiar with King Ahab, he was one of the wickedest kings that they had. So he doesn't serve the Lord, but Jehoshaphat does. And so he shouldn't be going to battle, number one, with a wicked king. Number two, 
they just asked for the Lord what's going to happen. And the Lord said, you're going to be defeated. Israel is scattered without a shepherd. The king's going to die. Is this about the time that you go, you know what, father-in-law? I think you need to be on your own on this one. Because the Lord said. I mean, I love you, but the Lord said. But that's not what happens. He's like, well, he's going to go. Then the king of Israel and Judah's king Jehoshaphat, verse 28, went up to Ramoth Gilead. But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, because see, he's remembering that prophecy that I'm going to die. So he's like, I'm going to play a trick on him. I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Like some father-in-law he is. You go ahead and get dressed up for the slaughter, but I'm going to hide over here amongst the people. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders. That's his tanks, all right? Equivalent to today's tanks, all right? It's a heavy machinery. He says, you're going to do this. He says, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. So you focus your attack on taking him out. Well, verse 31, when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. Uh-oh. He's in deep trouble, all brought on by his own choices. All because he made stupid decisions. And he's in a moment of absolute crisis. But Jehoshaphat cried out, cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. When the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. Just some random guy shooting an arrow into the crowd. So he said to the charioteer, turn around and take me out of the battle for I'm badly wounded. The battle raged throughout the day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening. Then he died at sunset. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his home in Jerusalem in peace. So do you see how he makes all these mistakes, misses God, misses God, misses God, and yet in his moment of crisis, the moment he turns to God, you know, the Lord didn't say, you know what? You deserve it. Kill him. But he rescues him. His mercy does what? Endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Some of you have, are maybe thinking that, man, you know, maybe I've blown it. Maybe I've missed too many opportunities. Maybe I've, I've not, because, you know, all these years have gone. No, listen, if you're still alive, there is still time. And God is still able to absolutely do what He wanted to do in the beginning. Let's go over to 1 Kings now. To back up. If you, in the Old Testament, just back up until you get to 2 Kings, and then 1 Kings is after that. And chapter 22. All right, so this is still talking about Jehoshaphat and his alliance with um, Ahab. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm like, why am I wanting to read that again? Okay, uh, chapter 21. So it is talking about Ahab here, just before the story we just looked at, but it's in the account in the Kings. 
And um, so what has just happened, the context is remember Naboth's vineyard that Ahab saw and he wanted to buy and he said, no, it's not for sale. So he goes home and he pouts and pouts and his wife moping around the house. His wife Jezebel is like, what's your problem? Like he tells her. And so she's like, oh, don't worry. I'll arrange it. And so she gets people to go and falsely accuse the vineyard owner, Naboth, and, and accuse him of things he never did. And so they stone him and kill him, right? Because the, they've bought the judge off and they've bought these false witnesses and all this stuff. So she arranges it. So now in uh, verse 17, um, at, let's start in 16 of chapter 21. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Get up and go to meet Ahab king of Israel who is in Samaria. You'll find him in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says. Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, So you've caught me, my enemy. He replied, I have caught you because you devoted yourself to do what's evil in the Lord's sight. This is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on you and will sweep away your descendants. I will eliminate all of Ahab's males, both slave and free in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. Because you have provoked my anger and caused Israel to sin. The Lord also speaks of Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel. He who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. He who dies in the field, the birds of the sky will eat. And then it tells us something about King Ahab in verses 25 and 26. Still, there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight. Because his wife Jezebel incited him. It's not like he's just making mistakes. This guy's deliberately devoted to doing the wrong things. He is on purpose doing all the things against the Lord. Causing Israel to go away from the Lord. And so it says there was no one like Ahab. I mean, he's the worst of the worst kings. If anyone deserves the smite button to be pushed, this guy does. Right? Right? Judgment. And so... (laughs) <laughs> what what happens next? He's, verse 26. He committed the most detestable acts by going after idols as the Amorites had, whom the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. Now, now watch what happens. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. He put sackcloth over his body and fasted. And he lay down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring the disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring the disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. Well, the Lord also knew looking forward that his son was going to even be more evil. And so he knew that this his son's not going to repent. He's not going to humble himself because God is the God of his mercy endures forever. And if his son would have walked right with the Lord, guess what? And we have king after king after king in the Old Testament that this very thing is happening. That the father sins, judgment is pronounced. Oh, then the son walks right with the Lord and the Lord goes, okay, I'll stay the hand of judgment. And so here we're seeing what happened. Ahab, the worst guy 
I mean, he's the worst. And yet he humbles himself. And where's God's mercy? Right there. It's right present. Even for such a rascal as Ahab. He humbled himself. He said, like, hey, Elijah. Like Elijah's his guy, right? His prophet. He's like, hey, did you notice him? See how he humbled himself? I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do to him. Amazing mercy that God has. Abundant in mercy. Now, let's go keep going left in your Bible to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel in chapter 12. Now, the context here is King David, man after God's own heart. And King David had committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba. And you know the story if you've read it and you know everything that happened. He he commits adultery. He tries to cover the sin up. And then that didn't work. So he commits murder, has has her husband killed and takes her and marries her and thinks he's getting away with it, I guess. And then in chapter 12, the prophet Nathan shows up and he comes into the King David and, and he comes in and he says, you know, he tells him a story. About this guy that, this, this poor man that owns his little pet sheep. I mean, he sleeps with this thing. It's like one of his children. And about his neighbor, this real rich guy with this huge flock of sheep. And how the neighbor, rich guy, had someone showed up to his house as a guest. And so, instead of killing a sheep of his own massive flock that he had for his guest, he goes over to the neighbor's house and gets his pet little lamb that's like one of his children and kills it. And they eat it instead of his own. So he tells him this story. The prophet Nathan is telling David. And man, David, in verse 5 of chapter 12, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. You know, a word of caution to each one of us. Again and again and again, we see a theme through Scripture about how we're judged by our own words. And that's what's getting ready to happen to David. He's going to be judged by his own words. You know, as we judge, so are we judged. And so we have to make sure that the judgment we're measuring out is the judgment that we're willing to wear. Okay? And and remember the, the parable of the talents Jesus gave? And, and then he... The one guy gives ten talents and the five, and the one talent, and the one guy goes and buries it, and when he comes back and gives him back his one talent, he didn't steal, right? He gave him back everything that he had given to him originally. But he said, I knew you were a hard man, and I knew that you would, you know, gather where you didn't plant and all these things, and you're rough, and so, so this is what I did. And so the Lord said to him, well, I'm going to judge you based on what you said. And he measures the judgment, exact judgment that he said out on him. Or how about the children of Israel when they were getting ready to go into uh, the Canaan land the very first time they arrived before the 40 years in the wilderness. They arrive in and they're like, oh, the Lord just brought us here to kill us. There's giants in the land. We can't go in all this stuff. And so the Lord said, all right, fine. As you wish. (laughs) Like Princess Bride, as you wish. And so they go right back out to the wilderness and they all get exactly what they said. Die. Right? So just reminding you, as the Lord is merciful, you be merciful. Isn't that Scripture? Right? We are to be merciful like the Lord. Because He is merciful. 
So, so when you go to measure out judgments, make sure there's, there, there are ones that fit you. So Nathan says all this. Verse 7, Nathan replied to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Isn't that amazing? That he tells David, I gave all of this stuff, everything that you have, the entire kingdom. And if that wasn't enough, all you had to do was just ask. And I would have given you more. You didn't have to try to get it by the arm of the flesh. See, the only reason we reach into the arm of the flesh to get things is because we don't think the Lord will give it to us. That's why people commit adultery because they don't believe that they can have a fulfilling relationship with their spouse. And so they begin to reach to somewhere else for it. And so we don't want to do that. We want to always look to the Lord. If, if you're not fulfilled in an area, talk to the Lord about it. Say, man, I'd really like this kind of relationship with, with my spouse. Don't be praying for, for someone else. <laughs> Verse 9. Why then have you despised the command of the Lord by doing what? Doing what? I consider evil. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. When we go against the word of the Lord, you're despising him. That's what, what despising him looks like, is not obeying him, not doing what he's saying. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. He will sleep with them publicly. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, the Lord has taken away your sin and you will not die. However, because see, David's judgment was he needs to die. But he's saying, you've, you've repented. You're not going to die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. And then Nathan went home. All right, so let's go down to verse, well, later in the chapter. So what happens here is the son gets sick. David fasts and prays, but the little child, the little baby dies. And so now fast forward some time. Verse 24 says, Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. He went and slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And he sent a message through Nathan the prophet who named him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. The prophet shows up and he recognizes that God's love for this child was great. And so he gives him another name. Says, Your name's Jedediah, beloved of God, beloved of the Lord. Now think about this for just a little bit. We have a relationship that started through all kinds of sin. Adultery, murder, I mean, all kinds of stuff going on. And now a little one is coming out of this relationship but God's mercy, right? It was so great that He forgives what's done is done. 
and now chooses this child from this relationship to be the next king of Israel, Solomon, Jedidiah. And he was so loved by the Lord, he was so blessed and favored by God, the grace of God was on him so much that Solomon's reign while he was king, that was the greatest time through the period of of Israel's history. I mean, the king was it was most expansive at that time, the kingdom. They had the most wealth during that time. They had the mightiest military at that time. They had, I mean, just he was world renowned for his wisdom. Everyone wanted to come here. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge working through him. And so we see that God took something that was horrible and caused something amazing to come out of it. Do you see that? The mercy of God. The mercy of God. How many times are we underestimating the vast mercy of God? You know, Genesis, um, in Genesis 50, verse 20, it, it's talking about David, uh, not David, Joseph. Um, Joseph is in Egypt, right? Now his brothers are before him and they've made multiple trips in and out of Egypt and getting food. And now finally he's telling them who he is. I'm Joseph, the one you all sold off into oblivion, right? And um, they're like, uh-oh. Our head's coming off. You know, that's what they're thinking. And because now he has, he's in the decision-making seat. And so this is what, what Joseph says to him. Verse 20 of chapter 50, he says, You planned evil against me. God planned good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. The, the Living Bible says it this way. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. For He brought me to this high position I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. The Good News Bible says you plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. God's Word translation says even though you planned evil against me, God planned good to come out of it. The word actually, this word planned, you planned evil against me, is the word weaved. Like you would weave a garment. A fabrication. Alright? You fabricated this. You, you, you created, you weaved together evil against me. And God weaved good from it. Isn't that amazing? And so, what we have here is a perfect example of what it says in Romans 8. 8.28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Not those who don't love God. Those who love God. Those who are called according to His purpose. And that's meaning that you are acting upon that call and purpose. That means you love God. Okay, Those are the qualifiers. And he's saying all things work together for the good. Even what the devil means for harm. Even what Joseph's brothers meant for harm against him in God's mercy. Right? Both to the brothers because it spared them. They deserved to die. They deserved to starve. They deserved to show up in Egypt the very first time and Joseph go, oh, no, reckoning day has come. That's what they deserved. But yet in God's great mercy, he actually said, you know what? I'll turn this whole thing on its head and we'll put Joseph in a position to save y'all's life. Not bring judgment on you. That is God's mercy. His mercy endures forever. And then obviously through that comes all the children of Israel. They wouldn't exist if that hadn't happened. You and I wouldn't exist 
if that didn't happen. Because Jesus comes through the line of Israel. Mercy. Someone say mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, but God, see, there is one. He says, we were, we were by nature, we were children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, seated us with Him, all these amazing things. But it all comes back because of God's abundant mercy. His mercy endures forever. Really, this is, he says, God who is abundant in mercy because of His great love. It's a paraphrase of what God said about Himself back in Exodus when He was with Moses on Mount Sinai. He made this statement to Moses. He said the Lord passed in front of him and He said this. He said, Yahweh is compassionate, merciful, gracious. He's slow to anger, rich in faithful love. That's kindness, goodness, or mercy. It's also translated in truth, maintaining faithful love, kindness, mercy to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. This is what God said about Himself. I want you to know this is who I am. This is who I am. And all through Scripture, these verses are quoted again and again and quoted and requoted by the prophets and they're quoted and requoted in the New Testament and used as paraphrase. In fact, in Psalms, I read it in, in one of the Psalms tonight. Um, in Psalms 145, it was quoted. Let's look at another example of great mercy. We're not going to read the whole thing. Just we'll read a couple of verses in Jonah. Jonah, we all know this. Jonah, he was a guy that was supposed to go down to Nineveh, warn them that they're going to be destroyed. Now, Nineveh was a place that Jonah didn't want to go because he hates them. They are the enemies of Israel. They are horrible people. They're mean and just do horrible things. And so he doesn't want to go. And um, he runs away. Gets on board a ship and tries to go the opposite direction. You know the story. Storm comes up. And ultimately they throw him into the water. And because they're, they're trying to appease the, the gods, they're throwing everything in. And Jonah finally says, throw me in. It'll take care of it. So they throw Jonah in. And Jonah gets swallowed by the great fish. In, in verse 17, then the Lord appointed, of chapter 1, it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. And in chapter 2, if you read it, you see that I believe Jonah died because he says that he was in hell. He says that he was enclosed with the bars of the earth around him forever. And it's all language of as though he died. But either way, he, he repents and he says, I will do... I will fulfill what I have vowed to do. And so the Lord commands this fish and the fish spits him up and Jonah goes and does what he was supposed to do. And his sermon was real short. You know, it was just a couple of words. And um, basically he tells them, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all. That was his whole sermon. 40 days, y'all are toast. And he, three days, he's going around the city, he's preaching this. I mean, he's not telling them to repent. He's not, not, none of that. He's just telling them, you guys are toast in 40 days. And so what happens? Well, the whole city, the king, everyone repents. They put sackcloth and ashes on, on every man, woman, child. Even the animals were in sackcloth and ashes. And everyone's fasting and they're all repenting. And, and 
Verse 10 of chapter 3, Then the God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster He had threatened to do to them. He did not do it. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He, See, he was sitting outside the town on the hillside watching because he wanted to watch these guys go up in a puff of smoke because he doesn't like them, remember. He prayed to the Lord. He said, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. So now, Lord, please just kill me. <laughs> That's what he says. Because he, it's why he didn't want to go. Because he didn't, he knew that if they would repent, God would relent. God in his mercy. His mercy endures how long? Forever. It's amazing. Worship team, you can come up. I'll read a few more scriptures to you. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and I'll just read some Psalms to you. Psalms 103, verse 11, if you're taking notes. For as the heavens are high above the earth. So how high is that? I mean, there's no really no limit that we're aware of of how high that is. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And if you've blown it and you you are living in the fear of the Lord and you reverence him, this is how great his mercy is towards you. Psalms 106 verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Psalms 130 verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why would you do that? Why would you hope in the Lord? Because you expect, right? You expect. It says, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is mercy. And with Him is abundant redemption. Not just enough to drag you across the coals and barely squeak you in. Abundant redemption. Way more. Didn't he say that to the guy with the 7,500 pounds of silver? I mean, can't the Lord do much more for you? Didn't he say to David, hey, if all these wives and territory and everything wasn't enough for you, all you'd have to do is ask. I'd have given you more the right way. Right? He's a God of abundant, abundant mercy, abundant redemption. And yet out of David, you know, the Scripture said, it was prophesied that David would have his seed would be on the throne of Israel forever and ever. That's Jesus. Jesus came from that lineage and he is on the throne forever and ever. All right. Hebrews chapter four. And this is where we close. Listen, if you've blown it, whether it be some gross sin, big deal, or whether it be something that's not necessarily a gross sin is just I missed God on it. I didn't do what I knew I should. I missed the Lord on it. You know, John tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive those sins. Here in Hebrews 4, it also tells us in verse 16, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that, here's why, so that we may receive mercy. 
Most times when we blow it, we, we aren't approaching the throne boldly. We might be dragging in and wanting to stand in the corner. Sorry, Lord. But no, he's saying approach boldly. Come right up to him boldly because that's where you get the mercy. The mercy isn't over in the corner. The mercy's here in front of me is what he's saying to us. And he says, so that you can receive mercy and something else and find grace. Grace is God helping you. Grace to help us at the proper time. So if you have missed God, if you have, whether it be huge or small, know that His mercy for you is still abundant, is still eternal. And if you'll just turn to Him, all those things are removed as far as the east is from the west, and He will absolutely grace you, give you the ability that you need to come right back up out of it, restore the things to you that you thought were lost forever maybe, and bring back you into a place of walking in the fulfillment of His plan and purpose for you. You can stand with me. I'm going to pray over you. Father, we recognize that you're so full of mercy, that your love endures forever, that your kindness and goodness just goes on without end. We're so grateful for this. And Father, I thank you that your mercy has been extended to all of us and that all sin, past, present, or future, you already have more than enough mercy and that the blood of Jesus completely removes from our account anything that we bring to you. And I thank you, Lord, that your mercy is still present. It's still now. It's still today. It's tonight, right now, Lord. I just, I ask you to bring an awareness to everyone here of your great mercy. Father, that by your spirit, you draw each one of us into a deeper place of understanding, into a deeper place of realizing your mercy, your goodness, your kindness towards us, your heart that is towards us. Father, I thank you for this mercy for us. And Lord, any place that we've, we've missed it, any place where we have either deliberately or mistakenly done the wrong thing or gone the wrong direction or, or got off into sin, Father, I thank you that your mercy is available to it. And Lord, I just ask you to bring that to our individual attention so that we can correct it with you, so that we can address it with you and receive the mercy that you have for us and receive and find your grace, your abilities out of it and from faith to faith and glory to glory. I thank you for this. I thank you, Lord, that you're faithful, faithful. You've never let us down. You've never forsaken us. You've never just said, okay, my mercy is over now. Lord, thank you for faithfulness in this way. Thank you for your covenant that goes on forever. Thank you for writing upon our hearts by your spirit these truths in Jesus' name and amen. So let's worship, let's thank the Lord for His mercy. Because it's from generation to generation. Everlasting to everlasting is what Scripture tells us.
The Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Let's say this together. The law of the Spirit of life, law, spirit of life. in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus sets me free, sets me free from, the law from the law of sin and death. Sin and death. Let's say it again. The law of the Spirit of life. The law of the Spirit of life. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Sets me free. Sets me free. From the law of sin and death. Sin and death. Yes. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the law of life. Thank you that you've set us free from the law of sin and death. Thank you that your blood is stronger than any sin. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Father, for calling us by name and making us your own. And we bless you. We bless you. Someone say, I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. So go in peace. Go full of God. Go full of the Holy Spirit. Be light and salt. Extend mercy. Be examples of the love and kindness that God has for everyone. We have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited. If this is your first time here, we have like some finger foods and things like that. Oh, actually some spoon foods too. So, <laughs> um, but, but you're welcome to join us and, uh, and stay for that. All right, one way we love God is how? Loving one another. Well, welcome to Church of the Word International, where Jesus is King and His praise is glorious. Psalm 146 says, Hallelujah, and it, it means also praise the Lord. My soul, praise the Lord. That's your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your character, your, your personality, your whole soul. It says, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to the Lord as long as I have a being. You know, that's going to go long beyond this life. Because your being is going to continue to exist. So I like that statement. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord as long as I have a being. So if you would stand with me and we're going to worship Him and honor Him.
guilty of our adoration. Yes, we owe him everything. Everything. Without him, all of this is pointless. But in him, everything takes on great meaning. So, Father, we bless you tonight. We exalt you. We honor Jesus as our King and you as our Father. And, Lord, I ask that by your Spirit tonight, you touch every person here, that you encounter every person in this building, every person that's going to listen on the Internet. Lord, that you touch them, encounter them in a way that's unique to them and in a way that's unique to you. Lord, I ask that your purposes, your plans will be fulfilled tonight. What you want to accomplish tonight will be accomplished in every person here. Lord, we, we look to you. We put our eyes firmly on you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And everyone says, amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and send the children to Children's Church and the ministry workers to their various places. And while they're going, why don't you go say hello to somebody, introduce yourself to somebody. Well, good evening, everyone. My mic on? Those of us that are not vacationing, <laughs> we got a light crowd tonight. So be in prayer for those of our family that are away. Well, we'd like to welcome you if you're here for the very first time tonight. So if you're here for the first time, can you raise your hand? We can just clap for y'all. <laughs> right here in the back. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. All right, well, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. And the ushers will see that you get it for giving by credit card. Do fill out all of the blanks. And the information card that the usher just handed you, you can just put that in the basket if you'd like as it goes by. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about laying up treasure. You know, there's only two places that people lay up treasure. Treasure here on earth and treasure in heaven. Now, if you lay it up here on earth, well, natural things can get in and destroy it. People can steal it, rob it, whatever. But in heaven, it's 100% secure. It's protected, guaranteed an on a return on your investment. Where you store your treasure is also an indicator of who your master is. Who are you serving? Are you your own master? Or is the Lord your master? The money will reveal that. And one of the things that we do when you think about storing up or having storehouses or savings or whatever, but one of the reasons that we do that is because we're trying to provide. I mean, that's often the motivation, not the only motivation for storing up, but we're trying to provide. We're trying to think ahead and, and you know, make so that we've got provision as time goes on. Well, God is a better provider than any of us could be. Now you can say amen to that because it's the truth. Whether you like it or not, it's the truth. God is a better provider than any of us. So I want to read out of Luke chapter 12. Jesus was talking um, about a rich man in a parable in Luke chapter 12 that tried to rely on himself for provision. He tried to be his own master. Let's see how that panned out for him. Uh, Luke chapter 12, let's see, verse 16. And he told them the parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Now, whenever you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do, 
your first response should be to turn to the Lord because he knows what to do. He sees it perfectly. You and I don't. That's not what this guy did. He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Just, you know, this is great. This is cool. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So God's saying, or Jesus was bringing this out, that the one who has this mindset of I'm my own master, I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to live selfishly all my life long, he's saying that's being a fool. Well, let's keep on reading here. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, in other words, because of the illustration I just gave, all right, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Basically he's saying, look, see how I illustrated this here? Trust God. Don't worry. Trust God. And then the next um, several verses, verses 23 through, see, 28, he, he brings out how valuable you are to God, how precious you are, how he hasn't missed one detail, not one obstacle, not one need. He has seen it all. He knows. So let's start reading. Verse 29 says this, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For the nations, all the nations of the world, seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. So it's not an either or. You know, this word seek, if you look that up, it brings out like a striving and a, and a straining for and it being like your, your whole consumed, concerned focus is, is this, right? So, you know, don't you think that if you would seek the Lord first, His kingdom, His things, His presence, that's who you're striving for. That's who you're striving to please. You don't think he could tell you, hey, I want you to go apply here. Hey, why don't you invest over here? It's going to be really good. Hey, you know, that thing, I think you should start this endeavor. I, I see I see dollar signs. You're like, he could speak that to you. It's not an either or. He's going to guide you. And his heart is good for you. His thoughts are good towards you. What it says next here, it says this, it says, fear not little flock. See, that's that's the thing. When you release control, the control of your life to someone else, you have an opportunity to fear. And really, if you're if you think, well, you know, I don't know, and you got this fear going on, maybe maybe God's not going to you know, maybe it's not going to go well. You know, I just need to do it myself cuz it's going to go better that way and and I need to really provide well and build this little empire. Well, what you're revealing is is you don't really think God would want to bless you to that level. You know? That's a, but that's a lie. He wants to bless you. He wants to see you flourishing in every area of life. So don't fear about that. That's why he says, don't fear. Trust me. I'm for you. I'm on your side. It's going to go well. Seek me first. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's Good pleasure. See, it delights him to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, 
provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Did I read that right? Yes. So trust him. Don't fear. Don't fear giving up being your own master. You could never be a good enough master anyway. He, he's, he's the best provider that you could ever encounter. Any need you have, any obstacle, he's got the answer. So let's let him be the provider he wants to be for us. And one way that we demonstrate, we believe that God is our provider, is by returning the tenth to him. All right, well, let's take a hold of that and let's pray. Father, we're so grateful tonight that we can call you Father, that we are your kids and that you love us, that we're precious in your sight, that we're valuable to you. And Lord, I know nothing has escaped your sight. There's not one need in this house that you don't already know about and that you haven't already prepared an answer and a way through. So we just thank you for it. We thank you that you're good to us and your thoughts are good towards us all the time. And so we just present you the tithe. We ask you to bless it. We present it as part of our worship to you in the name of Jesus. And amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give unto the Lord and not to man. All right, in our bulletin, we've got this Saturday, July 24th at 8 a.m., a men's breakfast. So bring your friends. Everyone's welcome. And then Sunday, July 25th, is our CWI picnic. So sign up at the in the back. There's a sign-up sheet in the back um, if you plan to attend and how many you're bringing. Um, two dishes to feed 10 people each. And come prepared for other stuff. We always bring balls and gloves and games and stuff. It's always a good time. So um, make sure you sign up if you're coming. Youth and young adult impact is Sunday evening following the picnic. So a lot happening next Sunday. Um, and BBS is starting Monday. Wow. So that's already upon us. So the 26th is our BBS week. So thank you all that have volunteered to come out and help us with that. All right. Are you Did you talk about this? Okay, so we have a new update from Larry, and, and so you can pick that up down in the lobby by the door. There's new papers there with the updates on what's going to be happening. He's going to be with us in several weeks. On um, August 7th, he'll be ministering here while myself and Pastor Jay from Colorado are at his church ministering there. So we're going to trade places. And um, we're looking forward to that. So be, do be praying for them as they get ready to travel as well as us, and that's, that's in several weeks. Another thing, the last, uh, the last weekend of July, every year, we have something that we call our annual Mission Sunday. And what that is, is it's a time for us where we spend some time and we ask the Lord 
about what does he want to do through us in our finances in the mission field in the next calendar year until the next July. And so we we pass out these papers and we all write down a number. Now, no, nobody gets held accountable to the number that they wrote down. The, the, it's That's between you and the Lord. But then we calculate and we add that number up. And then we say, okay, this is the total number that we're going to together collectively believe that we're going to sow into the kingdom, the work of the kingdom over the next year. And so we also at that time give an update of what we did in the last calendar July a year ago and um, how much we gave collectively into the into the work of the Lord. And it's been a lot of fun doing that because, you know, when we look at our own amount only that we give, it feels small and insignificant. But when you put all of our small insignificant, which they're not insignificant, amounts together, suddenly it's like a huge pile and it's like, wow, that that's enough to make a difference somewhere. And so that's the last weekend of July, the last Saturday of July, we're going to be doing that. So what I encourage you to do between now and then is begin to uh, prepare your heart and begin to talk to the Lord about what do you want me to believe for? Because it's a faith thing. We call them faith promises. Lord, what do, what no, what's the number that you would like for me to believe for to be able to sow into the kingdom over the next year? And so the Lord doesn't need long to talk to you. You know, we've done this where the first we've had guests come in and this was the first they were hearing about it. So they asked the Lord and they write something down. And so it doesn't take long for the Lord to talk to you. Um, sometimes it takes us longer to believe what he's saying. Because rarely does he tell you a number that you can do in your own strength. It's usually more that goes above and beyond your own self. And so that's where our faith then gets engaged and we look to the Lord to provide our our increase. So you can be uh, looking forward to that. Amen. I'm going to read to you. And I want you to just listen. It's out of the Psalms. So listen to these words. I exalt you, my God, the King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. I will honor your name forever and ever. Yahweh is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your glorious splendor and your wonderful works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring works, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, His tender mercy rests on all He has made. All you have made will praise you, Lord. The godly will bless you. So how about us tonight? I mean, how true is that for us? You know, we could, we could spend the whole evening here just probably individually and, and just tell stories of God's great works in our lives and the things He's done, the ways He's delivered us, the ways He's helped us, the way He came through for us in prayer, the way that His awe-inspiring works. And if you say, well, man, I don't have any of those experiences, well, then you're at the right place. 
and you just stay hooked and you stay hooked with the Lord and uh, start to ask him for these things. I remember the uh, first time I got a book that I received by faith. I had heard of, I think it was Apostle Dale, I believed God for a book and I heard it in a sermon and I thought, well, if God will do that for him, well, then he would do it for me too because he doesn't love Apostle Dale anymore. He loves me. You know, we're all precious in his sight. So I ask him, you know, faith is an equal opportunity employer. It'll work for everybody. It doesn't matter what your status is. And so if you believe God, and so I just asked him, I told him, hey, there's this new book that had just come out. I said, I'd like to have this book and I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And I want you to give it to me. I'm not going to buy it. I mean, I could have bought it, right? It wasn't about that. It was, I wanted this book from the Lord. And it was, I don't know, just a couple of months later that my sister gave it to me for a birthday gift. And it was just a book that I never would have expected her even to give me. Right. And um, so but it was one that she had given to me and it was of the Lord. This Bible, in fact, when I first was ordained and, and became a minister, I had uh, was looking for a Bible with wide margins that I could write and scribble in. Sometimes there's almost as many notes on the page as there is verses. And um, this Bible, I, I went online and, and I'm, I'm looking at all these wide margin Bibles. And finally, I find one that I like this one. And, but man, they were expensive, like a hundred and, I don't know, fifty dollars or something. And at that time, we, we were believing God for eggs and milk. You understand? We, I didn't have a hundred and fifty dollars to put towards a Bible somewhere. And so I'm just believing God for, um, for our basic necessities. And I found it online and I saw it. And so I said, Lord, I'd like to have that Bible. I pointed at my computer screen. I said, that one right there is the one I'd like to have. And, uh, thank you for it. And within, let me go over to the cover of my Bible where I've written about this. Make sure I get the timeline right. Yeah, it was within um, two weeks that someone from our church in Colorado says, hey, could you come over? I have something I want to give to you. Now, understand I hadn't told a soul which Bible I wanted. This is, I mean, not a common Bible. It's the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the minister's Bible, right? And they even have several versions of it, but this was the particular version I wanted. And so um, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell Jen. I didn't tell anybody what I was wanting. And he, he says, would you come over? I have something to give you. And so I go to his house and he hands me this Bible, this exact Bible. It's now falling apart and I have another one just like it that I'm putting my notes from this one into that one, and it takes a while. But this exact Bible, he hands it to me, and I open it up, and it was the exact Bible I'd believed God for. And um, I have it in here. He, so he told me, he says, the Spirit of the Lord told me to buy this exact Bible for you. It was September 28, 2009. And so the Lord will do what you'll believe Him for. Right. I mean, if you can find scripture that would support what you're asking for, then you can ask boldly. You can ask confidently and expect him to do it. Expect him to to come through for you. How come did I tell you all of that? Mission Sunday, that's right. And so we are going to ask the Lord to do things through us. Because how else is he going to get it done? 
I mean, just to put it simply. Without His body in the earth, the work of the Lord doesn't happen. And so we have to be that salt and light. And we have to put our faith out there and say, all right, Lord, um, use me in a bigger way than you have before. Help me expand the vision in my heart for what you want to do. Give me eyes to see as you see. Give me ears to hear as you hear and to see lost humanity as you see them and to see your children as you see them and, and on and on and on. And the Lord will answer and he'll do exactly that. And suddenly you'll find that, man, you have a burning in your heart to support missionaries. You have a burning in your heart to bless the people that come through here the, because we have many missionaries that come through, right? And... Um, Whereas, you know, you can look into your past. I remember before we did any kind of tithing or offering or anything like that, we went to church every weekend and years went by and I didn't give a tithe or an offering to the Lord because I didn't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, we have to pay the light bill. But see, as a, in our Mennonite church where we were at, we didn't even pay our pastors or anything. So it took a minimal amount to cover the light bill and just the bare necessities, right? And so um, when we got a hold of this truth and realized that what, what Jen was talking about is we've just been working in our own efforts. But there's a way for us to sow into God's kingdom that will enable us to do more in the future. And, and it just goes round and round and round and you grow like a snowball that you begin to push and it collects more snow and more snow and pretty soon the momentum carries itself, right? Well, that's called excessive increase. And that's for a reason, to accomplish the purposes of God. All right. Hallelujah.